Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave, and I'm your host. Uh, now, what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we get people to come and stand up on stage and do some tragedy. We're a live show and we're also a podcast. And so tonight we're going to be recording three podcasts, which means we have three acts tonight for you. Uh, so... The night tonight is Tragic Autumn, that is the theme. Uh, we've done some, this is the fourth of our seasonal shows this year. We started with the winter and we're ending with the autumn, which I think is appropriate for a night about tragedy to start in the bleakest time and end just when we're getting back there again, just when things are starting to die and things are starting to sort of fall from the trees. So what we want to be at Stand Up Tragedy, what we'd like the audience to, to do is to laugh until they cry and cry until they laugh. And we try to create a safe space to talk about unsafe things. So consider this to be a content note uh, that people on stage are going to be talking about tragedy and tragedy is about sad things. So there should be some laughs as well as some tears, but we will hear about sad things. So expect to hear some sad things on stage. When you're walking down the street any day, uh, some tragedy could have could befall you any time you just don't know when tonight we know it's happening it's happening here on this stage tonight and we're gonna enjoy it right <laughs> so uh, this is autumn right and so autumn is my favorite I think of all of the seasons I like the I like the transitional months I like sort of spring where stuff is is coming alive and growing and I like like autumn when everything's dying uh, in fact autumn is my favorite out of those two um, so I, I love it so much that I've written it a song so I'm gonna sing sing you uh, the song that I wrote about autumn now uh, to start the night off um, yeah so I mean Strictly speaking, I'm cheating because it's not a tragic song because it's a song about love and how much I love the autumn. But uh, I make the night, so I guess I get to cheat if I want to. Um, so, yeah, this song is, a, yeah, like I said, a love song to autumn. Uh, it's called Inside the Autumn. Just checking my guitar is in tune. Uh, it helps for it to be in tune because I play it so badly that it has to have something on its side. Right. Throw your tired leaves down and cover the ground These cobwebs hang like necklaces They loop all around the nearly naked trees That you surround with all your silver life Thank you for the stillness to grey and everything that loves the sun will hide away the days are getting shorter so let's embrace the night and remember the silver light thank you for the stillness
are so beautiful in yourself. You are so comfortable with change. You are so beautiful in yourself. You hold the wisdom of the year. You are so beautiful in yourself. You are so comfortable with change. You are so beautiful in yourself. You hold the wisdom of the year. Right. So yeah. So that's my love song to autumn to welcome the autumn in. Uh, at the end of the at the end of the night, there's going to be a sing along. I like to end the night with a sing along. Uh, the sing along tonight is going to be Autumn Days. Do people know that song? Yeah. I'm really glad people know that song. I did a, a, a night in here on Monday, and I told them I was doing Autumn Days, and they were kind of like a really young crowd, and they just like looked at me like what? And I realised they've stopped doing assemblies. Like you know, that's that's no longer part of assemblies, guys, which is a tragedy in itself I think so we'll we'll bring it back at the end of the night um, and so yeah um, so this first act is about so the first episode the first act of the night is about uh, tragic change and uh, I'm going to welcome the first performer onto the stage right now uh, so uh, his name is Adam Blampied uh, he is part of the Beta Males uh, and he, uh, is, he often does a show called Mr Children Man so everybody put your hands together for Adam Blampied Hello, Superman, as if from nowhere. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Adam Blompier, and I uh, am a children's author. I write children's fiction under the pseudonym Mr. Children Man, which is uh, not a weird name. You're, you're wrong about that. Um, now, um, my, my partner and I, uh, eight months ago, had a, a little baby girl. And this, thank you, thank you guys. Uh, and this is a little story, uh, first of all, about that, and then I'll move on to the tragic change. <clears throat> it's not foreboding, it's, a, it's just a little, little poem about raising a child. Raising a child is like riding a bicycle. Hard when you don't know how to do that. <laughs> Raising a child is like falling off a log into a chasm filled with debt and piss. <laughs> Raising a child is like getting a new best friend, but not being able to go anywhere because your best friend keeps shitting. <laughs> Raising a child is like finding a penny in your urethra. <laughs> cool. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm happy most of the time. Uh, so for th this next bit, though, I want to talk about a sort of a period of my life which was qu really quite hard. Uh, now, a lot of people think that my stories lack heart. They're, they're, they are mostly comedic. Um, but one uh, story which I'm sort of most proud of, uh, I wrote as part of a best man speech uh, for the wedding of two of my best friends. 
uh, Joe Crawford and uh, Rebecca Hills. And uh, so you guys would love uh, Rebecca. She, uh, she fixes computers, but she should be a singer. Anyway, um, so uh, Joe, they asked me to, you know, do this speech as being part of being a best man. Uh, originally, Joe did want his older brother Peter to be his best man, but you know, I convinced him Peter's a dental hygienist. It would be a waste of a speech. <laughs> also, uh, Peter has one leg slightly shorter than the other, which shouldn't matter. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> So in order to kind of get across the heart of this best man speech, I'm going to need uh, some help to recreate the atmosphere uh, of this wedding. So first of all, I'm going to need a bride and I'm going to need a groom. Um, never choose anyone who volunteers. Um, <laughs> Madam, could I ask you to be the bride, please? Thank you so much. And I need a groom as well. Uh, sir, could I ask you, please? Uh, not on stage. If you could stand there for me, that'd be marvellous. Thank you. You could just stand, stand next to your blushing bride. <clears throat> I always find it, uh, it's good when doing this to split up couples. Because that's what happens in real life. Right. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, if you could look at me, though, that would be lovely. Excellent. Cool. So, uh, we're going to have uh, you guys on the groom's side, uh, you guys on the bride's side, back row uh, drunk. Cool. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go away, get ready, and then I want you guys to talk amongst yourselves. Some of you have been taking care of that already. Um, uh, basically, just recreate the atmosphere of a wedding. I'll come out, and who's got a glass in their hand? Bridie, could I borrow you? When, uh, when you see my thumbs up, can you ting the glass and say, pray silent for the best man? And then I'll just perform my thing, and then I'll go. Um, awesome. So, uh, the lunch of the day was pork shanks. Just something to talk about. Uh, I'm going to go away and talk amongst yourselves, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, I consider it the greatest honor to stand before you here today. <laughs> Assembled friends, Rebecca and Joe's family. Oh, got the leaning tower of Peter in today. Okay. You should be up here instead of me, mate. You'd be running circles around me. Because he's got one leg shorter than the other. <laughs> oh, hide your daughters, everyone. It's Graham. <laughs> oh, hide your daughters. Everybody, hide your daughters. It's Graham. Hide your daughters, everyone. 
Hiding from Graham. <laughs> Graham. Keep, keep him safe. Because there's a history there, isn't there? With Graham. <laughs> I've known Joe since I was four. Joe and I grew up together on Ponterson Lane. Then one day we met this tiny, mousy-haired little girl called Rebecca. After that, it was the three of us. They're never bloody apart, Joe's dad would say. Graham, seriously though, hide your daughters. How is he here? How is he out? Now, as you know, I'm a children's author. I wrote the uh, fabulous Fergus books, and those will be available to buy in the lobby after the gig. <laughs> Sorry, the wedding. <laughs> and I wrote this story for Rebecca and Joe's special day. Once upon a time, there was a caterpillar called Paul. For the, for the people listening to the podcast, I'm dressed as a caterpillar right now. <laughs> you, got, you guys got it. Once upon a time, there was a caterpillar called Paul, and he was so lonely. Aww. His only friends were leaves, and then he would eat the leaves, <laughs> and then he would be so lonely. Aww. Then one day, he found another caterpillar called Joe. Joe could draw amazing things. Look, said Joe, I drew a sunset on this leaf. And Paul ate the leaf. The two were best friends. <laughs> Joe would follow Paul wherever we went, and to Delarane Road, to the building site. Then one day, they met another caterpillar called Rebecca. The three caterpillars were inseparable. They climbed the Millbrook tree and got stuck. <laughs> he remembers. <laughs> they uh, built the sixth fastest go-kart in Kent. We was robbed, eh? Podium finish. <laughs> They ran away one night, pitched a tent in Callaway Field and stayed there for five days. Paul would read his stories, Joe would draw, and Rebecca would sing the most beautiful songs. <laughs> they would all sit up late at night and discuss what they would be when they grew up. They decided they would be three caterpillars forever, move to a little house in the country. Paul would write amazing stories. Joe would be an amazing artist. Rebecca would be amazing. <laughs> but then, Paul found Joe and Rebecca. They had suspended themselves from the ceiling and molted to form shiny chrysalises. <laughs> and Joe and Rebecca's bodies released enzymes that digested all of their tissue, turning them into protein-rich soup. Their bodies had dormant disks of cells inside them, and when they dissolved to the soup, the disks then used all the proteins to cause rapid cell division, forming wings and legs and eyes. <laughs> the cocoons hatched, and Joe and Rebecca became beautiful butterflies. <laughs> and they looked amazing. <laughs> And then they flew away. <laughs> and then Paul would watch them fly. 
and then he ate some leaves. He wondered when he would become a butterfly. When do people become butterflies? Rebecca. To the happy couple. Um, thank you, I've been Adam Blompier. Have a good one. Adam Blompier, everybody! Okay, in my kind of nervousness in terms of wanting to sing earlier on, I may have uh, failed to mention uh, that this is a variety night, and so one of the things that we should expect is that, that whilst we're going to laugh, uh, the, next, the next act might not be a comedian. In fact, in this case, it is a comedian next. Uh, but you shouldn't get used to that, uh, is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, so, yeah, um, right, so our next performer uh, is called Ben Target, or Target, depends, depends, on, uh, depends on who you believe. Um, and uh, yeah, oh, actually, before I before I introduced uh, him, I wanted to actually say um, that, that I wanted to address the kind of the white elephant in the room. In that um, I try to I try to program diverse lineups, but tonight I haven't really managed to do that. Uh, so I wanted to like publicly shame myself about that a little bit, um, partly because of the fact that uh, that um, yeah, I mean like. We, we've done, I was going to say, previously I was going to say, we've done better than a BBC p- uh, panel show, um, but one of the performers on the way here had some tragedy herself, and she was actually, she had a very un- unhappy experience on the way here. She was kind of sexually harassed, as happens to, to women and women of colour, and in fact, uh, queer women of colour in her case. Um, and so, yeah, uh, she didn't make the gig, so kind of patriarchy fucked that up for me. Uh, but also, really, really, really bad what happened to her, uh, and also really, really bad that I haven't got a diverse lineup on my stage tonight although there are some exceptions and as as white men go though they're all right uh, including me I'm all right I mean like we've got so a working class white guy and a, a, a gay white guy and you know I was bullied at school uh, <laughs> so you know and the next uh, white guy that's going to come on the stage he's kind of a mysterious person he's almost not even a man he's just kind of a wisp of of of, 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 of kind of bizarreness uh, so he doesn't count um <laughs> But anyway, I believe in, in uh, diverse lineups. I didn't get one today. That is a tragedy, and I apologise for that. Um, but it's going to be a great show anyway. White guys are all right. And also, the thing is, it's the autumn show, so white guys maybe will fall uh, from the tr- trees, uh, and uh, green, diverse leaves will grow in our place uh, as we leave the uh, arts industry in our droves. Hopefully. Obviously, that's not in my financial interest, but uh, it is in my moral, moral belief. So yes, our next performer, he's called Ben Target, or Target, depends what you want to believe. Um, he's uh, part of an amazing show that's called Waiting for Gado that's happening on the 27th of October till the 7th of November at the Soho Theatre. Uh, so you should definitely go and see that. Uh, look out for it, find out about it. Um, it was a, really went down amazingly in Edinburgh. Part of the enigma that is Ben Target means that even if he gave permission to be used on the podcast, what he does is something that you can only really experience live. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I, I, he's a, he's a, he's an enigmatic. 
human. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's the second act. Like I said, the, the third act of this first, uh, first part of the show was going to, to be Adele Hampton, who's a really amazing spoken word performer, and I really hope that she's uh, like getting the, the, the uh, care she needs at home, and I absolutely don't mind her not being here. What I do mind is people getting sexually harassed on the way to my gigs, and I'd really like us collectively in this room, at least the people most likely to sexually harass people, to like, you know, agree not to do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why we have to still say that, but we do still have to say that, and it's really fucking annoying. In big terms, compared to the fucked up shit that happens generally in the patriarchy we live in, and especially compared to the experience that Adele had, an audience being denied the opportunity to see some spoken word isn't a big deal. But it is a small deal, and luckily it's a small wrong that I can partially make right by bringing you a recording of Adele doing a different set with Stand Up Tragedy. This is the first time we ever had her on the show at Edinburgh 2014. And since then, we've had her back and we hope to have her back in the future. So appropriately for tragic changes, we've travelled back in time and changed what happened. Our next performer is going to be doing some spoken word for you. Put your hands together for Adele Hampton! Hey guys. So this is a cool thing. We never get to talk about our feelings in America um, on stage like this. And I have a lot of feelings. Um, but yeah, but uh, I think that's kind of tragic in the United States um, is how we think of race and especially when that comes to people who are more than one race, um, which kind of makes us all three-headed monsters um, in the eyes of middle school and high school friends. Um, but yeah, here's a poem about that. When I was little, I used to think that I was stuck in a dream and that I'd wake up as a white girl and I was dancing in a kitchen that was big enough to hold two steps and swinging hips. When I was little, my mother warned me that my life as a mixed girl would be a hard kind of shuffle, with one heel on the edge of grandma's prim lawns and blue houses the other on daddy's street corners where glass blankets the bottom of playground slides. And I know that it's no one's fault that I often think of this skin more costume than home, constantly straddling minstrel show and white picket fence perfection for some. The definition of trauma is being forced to ignore the casualties of life's havoc to live in a constant and deafening silence as we choke back the struggle some days. The only thing I can do is picture myself skinny, with blue eyes like my grandmother, with perfectly brown, tousled hair that lets everyone know that I'm super gay and super, and super confident and fit into this community, but I'm not. I was raised to be a graceful child, told to strike down my vulnerable because no one ever wants to talk about how difficult it is to be different, suburban bred. I was raised white with the siren snared in the back of my mouth like the lump in my throat were the words, I need help. I kept choking on myself constantly, tying my tongue around the bedpost silently, blood binding the monsters of my two halves. Solitude and the faces I wish looked back at me in the mirror one day. Thought I could teach my veins how to breathe in the air of my childhood bathroom, all the while thinking how fucking pathetic it was to be afraid to erase my own skin, to sever the very thing my ancestors have marched into permanence. But what's your response when you're not really black? 
is laughed in your face by chosen family when you're forced to go to the mall just to sit in stores that never fit because your breasts and your backbone were too broad for Victoria's Secret. What's your response when your skin is too light not to be afraid of black hands running through your hair in the locker room after gym class? So you mixed or something. High school can be a trap for an already stretched identity. It's funny how I've always come undone when trying to defend myself, trying to present these brown swatches as proof of history, but quick comebacks never come out quick enough because I never thought anyone would accept my naked, my voice has become a violent, silent sap covering up the hurt I've harbored for years of not being able to erase my own skin some days. I think the bravest thing a person can do is speak their own melanin into a mirror. I am the clatter of brown daughter to a white mother, and I'm still trying to find the perfect kitchen to dance in, and I hope to God there is more in me than a wanting to be somebody else. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so my last piece, um, I guess, uh, is also tragic. This is like a really cool night because we don't ever like explore what tragedy is um, in the States. We're all just like, here's all our feelings. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah. His name is Walter. He sits on a trash can outside the corner Starbucks across the street from my office. When it rains, he wears a tattered black coat and uses newspapers wrapped in plastic as a seat cushion he has slouched. With yellow teeth set intervaled in brown gums, hospital bracelets bracelets accent his rugged shoes he is one frayed familiar face amongst the suits rubbed out graffiti on a k street sidewalk sometimes only the broken stop to appreciate walter coos they never really cat calls instead he asks about my weekend or why i wasn't there one morning wishes me a good day and then turns away i've given him six packets of splenda three stirring straws and have started to worry when he's not there my mother says there are reasons why men like Walter aren't allowed in Starbucks, why some women shake hungry cups at businessmen, and why some children's lips don't turn upright. I want to tell her she is right. There are reasons why some people are torn, but she can be wrong in her assumptions about where their rags come from. See, my mother is privileged. Maybe one day she would have stopped to ask why Walter was in the hospital last Tuesday, but now she mourns me about men with threadbare shoes. Homelessness. Never sounded so refined until I got to college. So, <laughs> until I got to college. Cultural and social effects of colonization and racism and cultural and social effects of the African diaspora. I sank my teeth in the meat of my people's problems from my classroom seat, never once giving heart to the issue that holds out empty hands because no, that's too tough of a subject. Tell me, teacher, why some people are more vulnerable to certain illnesses, cannot get access to good medical care and are caught in a corkscrew of disadvantage and poor health. Tell me, professor, why I can't write a poem about struggle without feeling like I've done my people a disservice, these words. Tighten rope around my wrists and walk my feet up to the guillotine because I'm scared shitless to confess how I'm choking on this silver spoon suspended in my throat. I've got a childhood of horseback riding lessons, family trips to Europe, and a grand piano in my back pocket. And it takes all the strength I have not to hold out shaking palms and say, Walter, I wish I knew your last name. One day, on our way home from the doctor's office, my little sister asked me if we were spoiled. I told her no, 
because we were raised to appreciate what we had, I told her no, because our father knows what it knows what it's like to know, not know where his meal, next meal is gonna come from. I told her no, because we knew better, but I didn't know better enough to pull the truth from my cuffs and say, little sister, we are privileged. Our kitchen drawers are full of silverware. We cannot ignore the house we grew up in, but little sister, no, that spoiled is not a replacement word for rotten. No, you have the ability to see beyond class, onto street corners and sidewalks, you know, look down on souls, little sister, instead. Meet eyes with smiles and thank their owners for their holy teeth. Walter sits on a trash can outside the corner Starbucks across the street from my office. He is one frayed familiar face amongst the suits and you don't have to be broken to stop and say good morning. Thank you guys. Adele Hampton, wow, that's the first time we've had her here at Stand Up Tragedy and she has uh, amazed me today, so I can only hope that she'll come back again. You can follow uh, Stand Up Tragedy on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy. You can like us on Facebook or friend the tragedy on Facebook to stay all up to, uh, dated for the, all of the shows that are coming up. Uh, this is the last show of 2015 that we're doing, but we will be coming back in 2016 and we do have a special Stand Up Tragedy Presents which is happening on the 16th of November at the Dogstar in Brixton, where I'll be doing my solo show, um, which doesn't have me singing in it, so if you hated the singing, uh, you should come to that. Uh, and, uh, in fact, uh, the, the poet David D. Morgan said of, uh, 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 that he thought my show was going to be terrible because he'd seen me doing my terrible songs, but... Uh, and that was his idea of a compliment, but it was quite nice, because uh, then he went on to say it was a really good show. But, yes, 16th of November, a double bill, my show about uh, men and how shit we are and how hard it can be for to beat us, both those things at the same time, uh, and a show uh, by AJ McKenna called uh, Howl of the Banty, and it's a great show. So, yes, we're going to have some songs, and uh, not by me, on the music, you know, you can get some drinks and not have to look at the stage for a little while. Have a, have a break for about 15 minutes, then we're going to come back with our second act tragic schooling thanks very much it's time to go it's time to go
This podcast has been produced by me with sound production from Stephen Harvey with music at the beginning from Sam Wilkinson and playing us out with The Tragedy Is Over, George Brufton and The Reactionary.